When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just like that, the final hours here, Monday edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Chad, the uh, show flying by. It's a good sign as always, right? As long as it leads to the week flying by, then I'll be happy. Fix the Peabody location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Weekend flew by with CMA Fest. City's packed still a ton of people here. I guess they're flying out later tonight. Extending the week. The weekend, the I long guess, weekend. You know, flights backed up out of Nashville. Maybe you had to wait for a late afternoon, early evening flight. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for a uh, an ability to go to the White House in, as an in, if you're invited there, it's College Day. Uh, they're in, in inviting champions from Division One, Two, II, and Three uh, to the White House today, DC. If you're waiting on the opportunity to receive an invitation as an unvaccinated uh, citizen. And not have to wear a mask and social distance. Uh, well, you got to wait at least uh, another visit because that's mandatory today uh, for the unvaxxed on the White House premises. And I believe that uh, President Biden had a root canal this morning uh, that was announced either late last night or this morning one, I believe. But this has been in play for the college athlete day uh, for a while. And they put this measure into play, even though, you know, COVID's gone. COVID doesn't exist right now. I didn't even heard about COVID until this measure was put in place since the last I, time I, they declared it over. I, I don't, yeah. There's nothing, nothing to add. I didn't know that this was still a thing. I didn't know this was still policy. Um, I hate that these things have to fall on party line and not along the scientific line about what's going on yeah. because there doesn't seem to make much sense with that. But I'm not the president, nor will I ever run for president. So I guess the president and the White House get to decide. And if you don't like it, then don't go. Uh, and if you do like it, then, you know, whatever. That's your cup of tea. We're not masking at Chad's dinner party. No. And also, I'm not going to make you bring a bottle of uh, Justin wine either, like Charlie. Just a bottle of bourbon or moonshine. Or a nice dessert oh. of some sort. <laughs> any food. Chad will any, destroy Anyone it. who makes a dish that I really like, then you will be required to bring that. But imagine, no mask. No mask. Can you imagine if I made a dish for one of your dinner parties? No max, no mask, no vax card, but a dish of my preference you will right. be asked to bring to my dinner party. Chad, uh, you had the travel softball uh, weekend, didn't you? How many pitches do you think you threw? You know, not a ton because we were pretty good about Coach hitting. Pitch here. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of long um, at bats this go around. Oh, well Girls done. were hitting it in play pretty quickly. Different league. Yeah, hit the ball well. No, it's the league's the same. We did not play well as a team. Uh, we were one and two on the week on the on Saturday, Saturday only tournament. Um, but the uh, is interesting because that was the trombone player in England that that fell out had a similar situation where a girl was hurt at home plate in a game I was watching, not our game. But she kind of got up and collapsed in front of the catcher in the third baseline going home. And the play kept going because of a pass ball. 
and a girl on her team had to hurdle her as she's on the ground to go score. And I was talking to a coach of the team that was they were playing and we're kind of looking at each other like, is that we're going to call time on that or just let this thing play out as someone's on the ground and uh, collapse? But they let it play out, and luckily the girl was okay. I think she just hurt her ankle or something. She stood up and, and walked and then hit the deck. But um, it was successful in that our team, I feel like, improved a bit, Hutton. But not, not as long as a, of a weekend as it could have been. Hey, and speaking of pitching, man, at any level, throwing 164 pitches in a complete game and going out on top as a national champion, that took place. Uh, Johns Hopkins fell one run short of the Division Three College Baseball National Championship. This was Thursday. But Gabe Romano uh, gave the Blue Jays of Johns Hopkins, I mean, everything he had in his final start. Fifth-year pitcher. And I, so we're certainly not paying attention to the final score of this game had it not been for this performance, which was on the losing end. He's a graduate transfer, and here he is throwing 164 pitches. Seven, I mean, he comes into the game with 79 strikeouts, 17 walks only. I mean, great college career. But I can't imagine going and, and throwing that many. And I wonder how long the coach would have allowed him to go before he hands the ball over and says, you know what? Yeah, uh, this is where it's going to end. A Stanford pitcher threw like 154. And the coach came out to the mound and said, hey, you need to get this at bat. We need to end this because we're about to pull you. And he's like, we had a, an adult conversation, was his reaction, the Stanford pitcher, by saying, I'm, I'm not leaving the mound. I'm not leaving. And, and most competitors wouldn't. And they're adults. Kurt Schilling joins us tomorrow. I can't wait to ask him they're, about that. They're this. over 18 years old. I don't think the coach, it, rarely in these situations, is some you know dictator, Bud Kilmer-level coach in college just demanding, oh, your arm's hurting? No, no arm soreness here. You get back out there and throw that 164th pitch for us, or you're going to lose your scholarship. That doesn't happen. If you hate it so much, make a pitch count limit. They do it in Little League. They do it in travel ball. It works out just fine. If you think that the arm is still developing as at, a, at a college age, that you need to prevent this from happening, then the NCAA should put in a pitch limit with their pitchers. If not, these coaches want to win. And guess who else wants to win? The pitcher. And well, if they feel like they're their best option and their arm is still hanging on and they think they can get the job done, they're not going to help themselves and save themselves physically. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and there's not a major league uh, pitcher that's going to throw anywhere close to that, right? No. But, I mean... It, because they're the, an investment. The guy, the guy himself said, hey, uh, at the end of the day, it was my call, and I could confirm that my arm is still attached and it's doing just fine. You know, uh, as a fifth-year senior, you're going to go out that way. And that was their win in this series. Better be, based on uh, the performance. By the way, yeah, look, 100 I'm, and, 101 I'm strikes to 59 balls. I'm fine with college kids and college coaches, you know, making decisions that they want to make on this. If it's so harmful to someone, then the NCAA should put in a pitch limit. If not, I don't really care. I think Major League Baseball has gotten way too observant on pitch count and inning count and everything else, and they've gone too far and too extreme the other way. But I also understand they're investing millions in these pitchers, and they are already depreciating assets. 
So if you can do anything to prevent them from depreciating faster, then you're going to limit their exposure and limit their pitches. I understand the thinking behind it. But if you've got some guy who's not going to pitch in the major leagues, a Johns Hopkins, that wants to go out as a fifth-year senior with 160-whatever pitches to try to win a game, go do it. Yeah. Don't care. Coach, good for you. Kid's a competitor. Let them do it. I'm not going to get worked up over it. Don't care. Yep, I'm right there with you. And you've got uh, the Stanford pitcher through like 154, 156. Um, he's like a he's a college at Stanford. He's like an injury expert on like Tommy John surgery or something. Again, he's smart enough he's, to know if it's that bad. I mean, coaches should do a good job of telling their players, look, if you feel anything that's off, you tell us immediately and we will get you out. You make sure they understand that. You're not going to be seen as weak right. or anything else. I will make sure that you're never seen that way, and I'll say exactly what's happening, and I'll have your back. That needs to be the message from the coaches to their players. But players want to win, and they want to finish the game. If you are a competitor, that's how you think. I do not want to eliminate that thinking from sports. So I'm fine with these stories. There is a, a, a group of running backs at the very top of the NFL under the franchise tag that haven't signed the tag because they feel as though the NFL owners and, and teams, general managers, they are on the franchise tag right now. The running backs are making just a little over $10 million. That's Saquon Barkley, uh, Josh Jacobs, and uh, there are a couple of others that received the tag. But specifically with Jacobs and with Saquon, the discussion now is... How long are they willing to hold out? The reports are Saquon Barkley's not going to be at minicamp. You've got Josh Jacobs, who's already said, and I, I think this is posturing, but he's already said, hey, I'm, I, I would consider the Le'Veon Bell approach if that's what it takes. Because their argument is the teams are tagging them <clears throat> instead of extending their contract in order to keep the franchise tag lower for a longer duration of time for that specific position, because it's an average of the top five salaries. And right now, the Super Bowl champs, we went through this earlier in the show, they're not spending a ton of money against the cap on the running back position. If you go through the last nine Super Bowl winners, they didn't have a running back that led the team in rushing that season that, that counted more than $2 million against the salary cap for that season. Meanwhile... The top backs in the league right now, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, they are upwards of 7, 8, 10, 14 million against the cap. Derrick Henry's is the largest of any running back right now in the National Football League. And I think while in theory I agree with what they're saying, which is, yeah, they're doing this in order to keep the money down at the spot whenever you actually reach a certain threshold and you're one of the best in the league, that's also the way it was collectively bargained and that your, your union set you up for that. But here's Brandon Marshall. This was uh, late last month, I believe May 30th, May 31st, on the, the uh, episode that day on the I Am Athlete podcast. Here's the wide receiver Brandon Marshall speaking specifically on the money allocated to the running back position right now in the league. Josh Jacobs... Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Travis Etienne, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and a few others should all boycott. 
They shouldn't show up. That's the only way change is going to happen. The running back position is the most disrespected position in all of sports. Oh my goodness. Sorry. When you once you get to year five, year six, you know what they say? You're done. Think about Ezekiel Elliott. So my production's down. So you saying that I don't have it anymore? I'm on the decline. But do you don't remember me playing on one leg last year because our team was in the play was close, was trying to make this run, and Dak was struggling a little bit, and you gave me the ball 20, 25 times a game, and I sucked it up. You don't remember what it took for me to uh oh uh get just get through a practice? Are you kidding me? So Christian McCaffrey, thank you for starting the conversation. But put a group text together. Y'all get together. Do what with the with the tight ends do and the defensive ends do. The tight end summits. The the defensive end summits. Why don't the running backs get together? The quarterback's been doing it for years. How about we redefine it this way? If you don't want to pay me, then you can't give me the ball 25, 30 times a game. Not doing it. You're not going to put this weird tear on my body. And when it's time for me to get the bag, you say, we're not going to pay you. We're going to go to the next guy. That's what they're doing. Running backs, come together. Boss up. And what they're doing, Chad, and that's Brandon Marshall there on the I Am Athlete podcast. What they're doing is something that you alluded to uh, around the same time period he's bringing this up, which is teams now are going to draft, especially if you've got the uh, first round back. You're going to draft a first round back. You have the fifth year option. And then you have the franchise tag for two years. So you... You own the rights to said player for seven years. And by then, the, the wear and tear, if he makes it that long, you cash out, go get another yeah, you're, young running back in the NFL draft. Here's what Brandon Marshall and these players don't want to hear, but it's the truth. And I think it's an honorable position that Brandon Marshall is trying to take there. The boycott would not work. Why? These players are extremely disposable on an NFL roster, even the great ones. There are some separation, some separators in terms of running backs in the league. But ultimately, these billionaire NFL owners, if they decided to sit out and boycott and all of them got together and play, they would go get the undrafted guy playing in the USFL or the XFL or they'd go to a practice squad or they'd take a sixth or seventh round draft pick. The running back position is not seen as important or as important as it once was. The only position where a boycott would work is quarterback. That's it. Brandon Marshall can talk about tight end summits and all of that. That's nothing to do with their position within a team on a roster and what they're getting paid. The only boycott that would work, I will repeat this, would be if every starting quarterback in the NFL said, we are walking because of this issue. That would get the billionaire owners to play ball. All of these great running backs, and those are great players that were listed by Brandon Marshall. This is no disrespect to them. All of those guys could get together and walk, and NFL owners would say, see ya. Not going to affect our season. Plenty of guys who can run the football. I'll go get the next one, and I'll pay him less. And he, will lo he would love to be an NFL running back and come play for us. And he'll come do that. And then we got every other position on the field that's not boycotting. And the most important one is not boycotting the quarterback. So see you later. We're not going to talk to you. Honorable of Brandon Marshall to present this in practicality absolutely would not work in the NFL. Yeah, and it wouldn't even work at quarterback because Lamar Jackson didn't say the exact same thing that Brandon Marshall is saying there. But in, in broader terms, he said, hey, I'm trying to reset the market for not just the next guy, but also to reach the, the plateau that Watson has reached, you know? 
Yeah, and, and, and Hunt, I think you raised that though yeah. about if all the top guys got together, Burrow, Herbert, and had Lamar Mahomes, Jackson's back, then yeah, they would do something. Allen, just the AFC quarterbacks. You know, if you if you've got them plus Rodgers and uh, you start looking around the NFC, Hurts, who also re-signed this offseason uh, extension. I don't blame those dudes for taking the money and, and, and the extension. I mean, you're getting a boatload of money up front, and you're the face of the franchise, and in many cases, the face of the league. But if you want better guarantees on a contract and, and you want to raise the floor for everyone, it starts up top at the quarterback spot and the money allocated in the split, which I believe is 49% of the revenue in certain Pockets of the revenue go to the players versus 51 to the NFL owners. Um, and then they still get parking and concessions and all that you know, stuff from the, from the home games, too. Um, the players get a cut, for instance, of the merch that, that, that they sell. Um, yeah, it starts with the quarterbacks, but it's only a very select few. It's like 10 of them, you know? And this would have been a perfect year to do it, quite honestly. With Burrow up for an extension, he's, he's now eligible. Herbert, Hurts. Um, and you've got some other guys that were free agents. Yeah, I, I just, it's also very, it, not easy because I think Brandon Marshall believes what he's saying. Yeah, but I, no, I do too. It's difficult to go to someone in their prime and yeah. say, hey, um, take a chance to make this situation better for everyone after you and uh, leave your team and don't get paid. Yeah, and go ahead and do that. Just go ahead and not get paid and see how, see how it works out for you. It's tough to do. And what they're, I mean, they're still making really good money. Yeah, and, but it's these two guys, Jacobs and, and Saquon, who are, who are at least considering it as, as things go right now. Two days in minicamp is different than whenever training camp rolls around and you find a, a mandatory. It's not up to the team to give it back to you. It's a mandatory fine of 50 grand a day uh, based on how long you've been in the league. It's either 40 or 50 grand based on how many years you've been in the league and how they're going to fine you. And they have no choice. It's not like you could, oh, we're going to have a... I'm not going to show up. I'm going to hold out. And then whenever I come back, they're going to give me the fine money back at the bonus. Can't do that anymore based on the CBA that was uh, agreed upon um, most recently. Chad, uh, what a scene at the Canadian Open. So Hadwin hits this putt. um, Or excuse me. Taylor. It was uh, Nick Taylor. It's a 70-foot putt on the fourth playoff hole to win. Canadian... Wins in Canada. And Adam Hadwin, who was a, one of his best friends. Another Canadian. Rushes the green to celebrate and just gets destroyed by security <laughs> and taken down. Form tackle. I mean, it, I mean, I mean the security. It, it's, it's great because. Has no idea who this guy it's is. It's not right? just that he rushed like he was a threat. Oh, champagne or whatever. He's got champagne already popped. And flying as he's running up to celebrate with him and gets destroyed by the security guard. That destroyed. You would think that the Canadian golfer going to celebrate with a fellow Canuck, a win like I that, mean, would at least be respected and known enough by the security guard to not get tackled. But, you know, golf's still, I guess, an emerging game, even though it's getting much bigger <laughs> in, the, in, the, in Canada. If he was a hockey player, he probably would have been recognized and not tackled that way. Those security guys are in a difficult spot, man. I just love that. You know, it's the one time, oh, I guess this is the player. And it turns out to be just some but crazy fan from UConn. Someone that's got champagne, you know, the, the, it's spraying everywhere. Like, that's your threat. I mean, it's like clearly like if they, he had a champagne bottle over his head, like he was going to wield something at him, I get it. But he's 
spraying champagne to where it's getting on the security Man. guard, and, he's, and the security guard thought, this is the guy I must tackle now. That guy, you know, is like military. He's got some, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining, because we have military friends that are in security and bouncers on Broadway. <laughs> you know, and they, they kind of get their energy out by doing that after serving multiple tours. It's like, ah, this is good for me. I get to yell yeah. at someone. Right. And uh, maybe he was just looking for a reason to just waylay. Or maybe he, just maybe said, he knows Hadwin. I hope one person maybe tries, he knows to, Hadwin. tries to do a champagne celebration today. They're going to get form tackled. Also, <laughs> we'll show the picture one more time, the last one. But props to Hadwin for keeping a hold of the champagne bottle. This magnum champagne bottle the like entire time. Me with the time. microphone with uh, Delaney. Yeah, the whole time. Never does not brace. Well done. Brace for impact. He's got a hold of it. I'm willing to bet there's still some champagne in that bottle that could be consumed. <laughs> Once he told that security guard who he was and he got over to Nick Taylor, I bet there was still champagne left where he could go and celebrate with him. I bet they're still celebrating. Uh, George Savarikas uh, will join us. Golf play-by-play uh announcer and, and TV host. Uh, great chat with him the last time he joined us. We'll preview the U.S. Open, which is hard to believe it's already here. It's coming up this week. Also, his thoughts on Live and PGA Tour unifying. Kumbaya. And I, I'm curious to get George's take from this angle. How open does he feel he can be in his commentary, in his play-by-play, giving his opinion? Because certainly... Some of the first things we thought of, Chad, were how about all the guys from the PGA Tour from the media core? Randall Chambly, for instance, who have done nothing but back the PGA Tour and condemn Liv that now have to cover this, whether they like it or not. We'll get George's take on that next here on Hot Mike. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Chad, at this time last week, golf was right back in the thick of all the discussion for sports talk. And, I mean, for just news in general. With the Live Tour, the Saudi-funded Live yep. Tour, now funding as the, the, the only major fund of cash flow that's coming in for the PGA Tour. Now, it, instead of adversaries, they are unified. Craziness. And now, with the timing... Here comes the U.S. Open, Los Angeles Country Club. George Savarikas joins us. He will be uh, on play-by-play for a featured pairing on uh, Thursday through Sunday for coverage on Peacock. George, it's great to have you back on the show, man. We appreciate the time. Yeah, it's uh, not much has changed since I talked to you last. Oh, man. <laughs> Craziness. <laughs> it seemed like the golf world was melting it's, last week. Yeah. How, how, how surprised were you, yeah. George, when this news broke? Uh, I, I was... So what the, the actual deal structure, I thought that would be the long-term resolution. The, that had occurred in complete silence and then was just sprung on everyone in the golf world. I mean, broadcast partners, uh, players, 
agents, like you name anyone. And they had to keep a very, very, very tight circle uh, to at least get the, the deal construct together before announcing this uh, publicly. So you said you weren't surprised by the deal structure, meaning that Liv essentially is buying their way in to a seat at the table on the PGA Tour. That part didn't surprise you? Yeah, well, the, the it, I guess the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, which is the, the engine that funds Liv Golf, I'd had this conversation last summer um, that I, I thought long-term they were going to have to merge. I mean, when you're going against an unlimited war chest and the PGA Tour had even said last summer, Commissioner Jay Monahan, we're not going to be able to compete long-term. Um, and if Yasser Al-Rumayan, who's the chief governor of the Public Investment Fund, is a golf junkie and wants to get into golf, eventually you're going to have to play ball and figure out a way to merge or partner, et cetera, in some capacity. So I thought that this would be – the end road. Um, but yeah, wait for it to happen Tuesday at 10 5 AM, see a tweet from CNBC breaking news. There's a merger and everyone's caught flat footed. That part, uh, was the most shocking day that I've had at golf channel in the 10 years I've been there. How would you describe the mood, the tenor behind the scenes, not with the decision makers, but just with, you know, uh, your, your peers, uh, those just across the business that have, stood up and had a stance a certain way about the live tour who now, whether they like it or not, are going to be covering it and, 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 and have to accept it simply because the PGA tour did an about face literally 12 months later. Yeah. And I would say that there's some wood to chop to get this to the finish line. They just have a memorandum of agreement. Nothing's been inked. The lawsuits haven't been dropped yet. You have the antitrust antitrust inquiry, um, that's going on and you see uh, like congressmen saying, hey, we want to have an inquiry, inquiry immediately. So um, for this to get from point A to point B, it's not exactly a slam dunk. I think the, the way they, they structured this, there's a good chance that it gets flagged um, by the Department of Justice. If you're going out after your largest competitor and then saying that the commissioner of the PGA tour would then be the CEO of this new entity and they could disband live that should trigger monopoly concerns. Uh, when it comes to coworkers, I think a lot of it's on a person by person basis. If you've been very vocally outspoken against um, the public investment fund or live tour and the source of the money um, or like Brandle when talking with him on Tuesday on golf channel said it was the, the saddest day he's seen in golf. So I know he's been very outspoken and at the, the forefront um, as far as being vehemently opposed to this occurring. I think for other people, it was the messaging that maybe Jay Monahan had a year ago, which I talked to him on Wednesday on Golf Today and just said, you invoke 9-11. What do you now say to those families? I mean, you, you can't Go to that extreme to take the moral high ground, and then a year later you're you're partnering with them. Versus if you didn't go with that type of rhetoric, and just said, "Hey, they're a business partner," or not. I mean, if they're a they're they're a competitor, we have to ban guys, but we got to protect our own interests. And then 12 months later, partnered up with them. I think it would be, um, I don't want to say more palatable, but it would be more understanding. But when you when you lean into 9/11 and then end up doing business with them from a public PR standpoint. That's a really tough road to navigate. Yeah, so what did he say, George? George Savarigas with us, because 
Yeah, you're right. He, he then do business with them after you know standing and waving the flag, and it's it's almost as like the that's the only ammunition that he had to use, and so they went with that as a business strategy. Which just knowing that now, this soon removed from it, like that to me is is what is so just shocking, and and that tells me the situation was dire. Like, I, it, do I take it any other way than he's willing to? face this scrutiny and criticism based on the fact that he's got the funds now to keep everything afloat? Am I, am I off base? It, it's one of two directions. And the PGA Tour has been sending mixed signals. Um, when I talked with policy board member Jimmy Dunn on Golf Central on Thursday, he was, and he's the guy who sent the WhatsApp to Yasser Al-Ramayn in April, on April 17th, to broker the initial meeting and they had to do two or three before Jay was even involved. So Jimmy Dunn's been very involved in making this conversation happen, making this deal happen. He says that he, he can read a balance sheet, quote unquote, and the tour is in a strong place. Jay Monahan, in his address to everyone at PGA Tour headquarters on Thursday that the Wall Street Journal reported, said we were spending 50 million plus in legal fees. We had taken 100 million out of our reserves. And it wasn't a financially sustainable model in which we have these elevated purses that have gone from, say, eight to ten million dollars to twenty to twenty five million. I mean, a lot of these events have been two to two and a half X increases in purses basically overnight. Are they just saying they have financial constraints because from a public PR standpoint, that's a better play to say, oh, well, fiscally we had to. Or are they really are those the economic realities and Jay is being totally transparent with the, the PGA tour, I guess, brethren, his employees, et cetera, when he addressed them on Thursday. And, and that's the real reason they came to the table. Um, I'm inclined to believe him. I, I think that, that Liv was just going to outspend them long-term and could have kept them in the courts till 25 or 26, um, let alone poach more players the PGA Tour is going to have issues from a contractual standpoint with broadcast partners if they kept losing guys who are whatever, top 10, top 20, top 30 in the world. A lot of these deals um, were enacted based on you'd have X amount of players playing who are top 50 or top 100. When those start to dissipate, then it's a less valuable product that you're broadcasting. So I think that coupled with the financial issues are what made the conversation happen. And for them to, to really move it to this point. But now it's like, okay, well, this is what they've announced publicly. What's really going to happen? Like, this is where the fun begins. Because what we've seen, we're getting fed piecemeal information. Now the adults in the room are going to make the real deal happen. So is this going to go through the DOJ? Are people in the U.S. government going to block it? Or the public investment fund in the U.S. government, is there going to be some type of deal to allow this? Or do all parties know that, hey, this deal is not going through? But then on the back end, the public investment fund through Aramco will now start sponsoring X amount of events, and it'll be called this new entity that's for profit, blah, blah, blah. So that's why I think for people to be like, oh, it's a matter of weeks until this happens. There's like two or three different doors we could still go down, and it could be the end of the year or early next where we have some finality. Well, let's go into the assumption that it does happen. And I, I, I'm with you, I think, in that I agree that what Jay Monahan did, he said, I can be judged 10 years from now when we look at the PGA Tour 
about my decision. I agree that it was the necessary and right business decision, and it's only going to help PGA financially from a business perspective moving forward. But my question would be, how difficult is it going to be for Jay Monahan to continue to lead the PGA Tour and look the players in the eyes and talk to them and ask them to do things and tell them what to do? Or does that even matter? Was the signal here that, hey, you know, we're the business part of it, our players don't really matter ultimately, and you'll do what we say when we say, and then we'll have to make the big boy business decisions when the time comes and you can hear about it after the fact. What do you make of that dilemma now for Jay Monahan moving forward? I mean, that's kind of the elephant in the room. What, what's the what's the plan from here? Jay's very personable, has a lot had a had or slash may continue to have a lot of good relationships with top players. Uh, on on me on a personal level, I've always had a good rapport with Jay. Um, I, I think he's good one on one or with 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 groups. Um, but this is massive public blowback and blowback from his membership. So how he frames the conversation going forward with guys, how present he is, how visible he is, how willing he is to engage will determine the shape of his leadership going forward. I'm a, a fly on the wall. I have no idea what, what the long-term plan is with him and Yasser Al-Rumayn as far as uh, what, what they publicly shared is Jay would be the CEO of the new entity. Yasser would be the chairman. Um, he would then have a board seat, but the PGA Tour would still – from an administrative standpoint, still control the board. Um, but in just, I mean, in, in, in talking to Jay, talking to players that were in the meeting, I mean, he knows that guys have said you come off as a hypocrite and he knows what he has to do going forward. It's just how receptive will the 20, 30 guys who are really engaged on the PGA Tour when it comes to bantering back and forth with, with the board, how receptive will those guys be to his message? I, I have no idea longer term. I mean, if he can persist through this, then he may fight on to see that five, 10 year vision, but this is definitely the, the, the most turmoil that he's facing. And that saying a lot with everything that's unfolded over the past 12 months. George Savarigas with us. He'll be a, a part of the featured coverage on Peacock Thursday through Sunday at the U S open. I mentioned this, George. I don't know if you if you heard me uh, reference this going to the commercial. Um, so uh, we immediately thought of Brandel Chambly, right? Like the comments made. Rory, uh, we we're eager to hear from him. Mm-hmm. D- those covering the the PGA Tour, are, do you feel like you can speak freely on anything? Like, or is this kind of like a hey, um, wait until everything's buttoned up before you have comment here? Or uh, I'm curious for where the the messaging is now compared to where it could have been a month or two ago. Yeah, I would say, I mean, our, for us at Golf Channel, our bosses do a good job of allowing us to speak freely, but I would say to a degree, and that's with any network, where if you're a broadcast partner with someone, then for it to be a fruitful partnership, there are things you have to be cognizant of on both ends. And, and you guys are broadcast partners. I'd assume that sure. you have trust in each other. So there, there, there are probably certain areas, and I have no idea what your boundaries are, but probably certain things where you're like, all right, that may be a spot to take my my foot off the gas. So in, in talking with, with Jay and Jimmy Dunn um, on Wednesday and Thursday, and I 
I tip my hat to both of them. They, it was ask whatever you would like to ask and whatever conversation we need to have, that's what we're going to have. And they understood kind of the, the, the public PR battle that they were facing this week. So there were, there were no boundaries in that conversation. Now for me personally, um, yeah, I can't, if, if I was just John Doe sitting at the clubhouse who wasn't working for the golf channel, then I could fire from the hip and say whatever I want about the PGA tour or live or et cetera. Being in my position as a broadcaster with the golf channel and we're, we're partners with the PGA tour, I can definitely speak candidly. Like I said, when this news broke that I think it's going to be great for golf fans in the next five to 10 years. Um, it, I haven't uh, opined on the source of the money and haven't waded into those waters to, to where Brandle went. I just think looking at it through the lens of a fan, this is a win longer term. Um, but it's a huge shift in U.S. sports. And this is where I, I agree with Brandle to an extent to have the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia now in a more or less hostile takeover partnering with the U.S. Sports League is unprecedented. And it, it, it leaves the question that the NBA has said they're open to sovereign wealth funds owning mm-hmm. teams. How soon is that going to happen? Could the NFL be next? I mean, they have a very deep war chest, the public investment fund. So uh, the PGA Tour was the easiest domino, and Yasser Al-Ramayan is a golf junkie. And that's it, it's like spin the wheel. It just happened to be golf that they got into. There could be any number of other sports going forward that they want to be involved with. Los Angeles Country Club hosting the U.S. Open uh, here. Uh, give us a, an overview, if you can, briefly of what to expect for our, our next major coming up this week. And did I re- did I see this right? There's a, the uh, the par three eleven is two hundred and ninety yards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's insane. First, yeah, I'll tackle the 11th. It's a little deceiving because it's downhill and it has a uh, reverse Redan green. So if you carry it 240, then it'll pitch onto the green. So guys are hitting iron. Some are hitting uh, like a a five wood, I would say. But it it plays probably 40 to 50 yards shorter than than the yardage would lead you to believe. Um, I, eight years ago, first time I went to LACC was the Monday of Riviera. And that used to be the hang, like anyone you'd see players, caddies, whoever Monday of Riv week, they would go to LACC, LACC would let people get out there. You'd see 20 or 30 familiar faces. Cause they were like, Oh, I want to check out the North course. This place is awesome. <laughs> Finally, we're seeing it as a U.S. open venue. And I don't know if you guys have seen where the location is. I mean, I'm in Beverly Hills. This is a mile and a half from where the course is. Your backdrop is in Beverly Hills. If they sold this off part and parcel as real estate, I mean, it would be multi-billion dollars that they'd be able to sell this for. What took so long? What took so long to get it there? The club has been reticent to have public exposure. Oh, and okay. there had to be a change internally. For them. <laughs> for the, for the, they just they don't want like. They don't want media members as members. They yeah, don't want yeah. to be. They, they want it to be this private sanctuary like that the members membership can enjoy, and they keep a low profile. And if you know oh. about it, great. And if you don't, no worries. Hey. At all. And then they gave so, in, and the announcement happened last week. You want to talk about <laughs> uh, the, uh, the opposite of low well, profile? 
But uh, the, the one good thing I would say, and I think this is going to be a home run U.S. Open. I would be shocked if they don't go there again in the 2030s. I'm hearing rumblings that, that that'll be the case. From a publicity standpoint, uh, the amount of eyeballs that we're going to have on this U.S. Open is going to be insane. From not just sports yeah. fans, casual fans, all the, the live drama, public investment fund, PGA Tour, DP World Tour. If it's one thing, it is good for ratings. So on our end, it's been for the biggest tournaments. It has been good for business. We saw that at at the Masters um, Sunday at the PGA Championship. Didn't rate quite as highly as I think CBS was hoping for, but um, early in the week, the, the buildup was phenomenal. I think the U.S. Open will be no different. So LACC is going to be really cool. It's an old school George C. Thomas design. He also designed Riviera and Bel Air. Um, they did a big restoration with Gil Hance about 15 years ago. It started 2007 or 2008 to restore it to how it looked in the 1920s um, while also enhancing certain aspects so it'd be ready for a major championship. Um, I think guys are drooling at getting out there. The one thing to keep note of um, could be a lower score to par than we're maybe anticipating. So I could see 8, 10, maybe 12 under winning. Can't wait to see this. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, George, we'll be, uh, Chad and I, we've got the laptops going on the featured pairings and the the coverage Thursday and Friday here in studio. We'll have the iPad and stuff going. We'll be following your coverage there on Peacock, man. We we, we always appreciate the chats and hopefully we can catch up soon. Have fun this weekend. No, I appreciate it. Look forward to it, guys. Yeah, man. There's George Savarikas. Great uh, play-by-play voice for uh, Peacock, ESPN Plus, some of the featured pairings there as well. Uh, from uh, previous majors when he's joined us. Chad, um, we've got a, a bear in Destin. I wasn't surprised that there was a bear in Florida, but when I knew that 30A, you know, could be one of Clay's two homes down there. Yeah. Uh, wait until you see this. It's the next on Hot Mike. Six of the Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Give our thoughts on Game 5 of the NBA Finals coming up. If you're joining us on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel. Hit that like button. Smash the like button. You guys have been great in the chat today. Um, Chad, 30A, you got what? Watercolor, Alice Beach, Destin. Rosemary Beach. Rosemary Beach. Right down the, what, 30 minutes down is Panama City. Yep. Panama City Beach is where I would expect this to happen, not in Destin. But you've got a bear, a black bear, swimming with tourists in uh, in Destin, Florida, in in the ocean. This is not, uh, you know, in the Gulf here. You've got the black bear on the beach. This is not like in the backyard coming out of like, uh, you know, some woods. That's what I was expecting, right? The black bear in in the Gulf. Was this a pet that got loose? I, not to my knowledge. Do we not know? I'm the, not sure you can have a black bear as a pet on the beach. Yeah, um, well, they frown a, on dogs. A lot out of there. illegal things happen in the PCB Destin area. Maybe this is another illegal uh, thing that was taking place. This illegal did, black this did look bear like PCB. These were uh, 
you know, these more Dustin type people. Old, it looked like an older group, and maybe not older, older than PCB. And I mean, I'll, I'll say they were they were more clothed. I didn't know that black bears were a problem in Northwest Florida until now. That's it's a thing. Uh, Schilling, uh, Kirk Schilling's back on the show tomorrow. Can't wait to chat with him and John McClain. Um, Chad, tonight, Nuggets get it done at home. They win their first title and their first NBA Finals appearance. And you have the floor to set up what I think you're, you have a, a great shot at being spot on with as far as what we're about to see happen. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr. all signed up though at least next year, most of them signed up for the next three to five years. This could be the start, could be, operative phrase, the start of a dynasty for the Denver Nuggets tonight. If they get it done, I'm hopeful they get it done because I'm down to $2.42 in my FanDuel account, and I cashed out the rest of my money on Nuggets winning tonight minus nine. In this game. Okay. To become NBA champions. Dominant uh, performance. And they've been that way uh, throughout this series. Uh, Miami's good. They're just not good enough. They're not great like this Denver team is built. It's quite, it's only the second time in history the eight seed has gone all the way to the NBA finals. And I'll say, I'm really intrigued when it happens. What Jokic is like after winning the title. Because he is so reserved. And he's always pointing to the next game. I... I want to see the finality of what it's like for him when he realizes he's accomplished that. Will things be destroyed in Denver also in celebration? That's what I want to see. And that's what we'll talk about on this show. Yeah, get mad at Russell Wilson, not Jokic. Back at it tomorrow.